like a dog. He died like a coward. He was whimpering, screaming, and crying. And frankly, I think it's something that should be brought out so that his followers and all of these young kids that want to leave various countries, including the United States, they should see how he died. Welcome to Weekend Warriors, the foreign affairs podcast that asks, what else is happening in the world? I'm Essie Cup. President Trump wasted no time taking a resounding national security success, the death of ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, and turning it into yet another controversy about how he carries out the duties of his office. In his address to the nation about the Baghdadi raid, Trump shared, well, sensitive information, you could say, on the operation, including the exact number of helicopters used in the raid, the route they used, how long U.S. forces were inside the compound, what materials were seized. He touched on SIGIN, signal intelligence. He clued people in on the military's target development. Trump may have even embellished the story, as he is wont to do. His claim that Baghdadi died like a dog, whimpering and crying, well, who knows? I mean, both Defense Secretary Esper and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff General Mark Milley said they don't know where Trump got those details, but suggest he may have talked to troops involved in the raid and gotten it from them. Now, in the wake of Baghdadi's death and Trump's oversharing about it, what looms for the U.S. in Syria and for ISIS? Those are the larger questions that we still need answers to. Here to talk through it with me is retired Rear Admiral John Kirby. He's CNN's military and diplomatic analyst and former State Department spokesperson. He's been on the podcast and my uh, my TV show many, many times. We're, we're thrilled to have you today, Admiral Kirby. Thank you so much, Jesse. It's always good to be with you. So, I mean, you know, as well as I do, this isn't the first time we've run into this oversharing issue with Trump uh, in terms of in terms of affecting our intel gathering and national security. How does that oversharing here affect, uh, you know, our ability to to keep secrets? Yeah, it's exactly right. And and so the the biggest concern about oversharing after a tactical uh, operation like this is, is are you revealing tactics, techniques, and procedures that you, that the bad guys could benefit from knowing. And that's number one. Number two, uh, are you perhaps uh, putting it, making it harder for you to conduct these operations in the future because you've laid out so much out there? So, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of real genuine concerns. I suspect that some, some folks in the intel community were a, a little squeamish when they heard the, the president uh, g- give his remarks in his press conference uh, the day yeah. after al-Baghdadi was killed. But the other thing that really worries me here, Essie, is the unauthorized leaks. In fact, I've been more worried about some of the leaks of information about the intelligence collection process uh, than I was by some of the things that the president said, because that really gets it. Like, how did we find him? How did we know for so long that he was there? Uh, and now we're getting reports that there was a mole inside the organization. All that stuff is better kept out of the public eye, in my view. Sure. Um, how, how does how does the oversharing in this instance, uh, the killing of al-Baghdadi, compared to, remember the time he posted the satellite image of an Iranian launch site? Yeah. Um, you know, compare yeah. those, compare this for me. Put put these on a, a scale, a spectrum, if you will. Well, I mean, uh, it's hard to say because they're so, each case is so different. Iranian state information like that, I mean, um, that was a big sort of uh, uh, middle finger to Iran. I mm. think he was doing that on purpose, and I don't know that that really 
uh, hurt our chances to try to keep pressuring them from an economic perspective. Uh, but on this one, um, it really does bother me in terms of uh, getting at ISIS. Look, uh, ISIS is going to, you heard the, the Central Command Commander this week, General McKenzie, say they're expecting ISIS to conduct retribution attacks for this. We've already seen that they've announced a new leader. They're going to want to prove that they're still viable, that they're still relevant, that they're still active and able uh, to attack Western and U.S. targets. And so when you know that and then when you're out you know, talking, whether it's authorized or unauthorized, you're just making it that much harder to protect against those attacks. So it's a, it's a little bit apples and oranges. I'm more worried from a, a, a counterterrorism tactical perspective that, that more information got out here than, than should have been. And look, a similar charge was leveled at the Obama administration right. after the bin Laden raid. There was a lot of people talking after that. Uh, that I know the intel community was not happy about. Well, yeah, I, wa- I wanted to ask you about that because, I mean, you, you were there. Um, you know, Obama spoke about the details of the bin Laden mission and other people in his administration did, too. Is, is there a line between informing the public yes. and, and, and revealing, revealing too much? Yes. And do you believe and do you believe Obama and the the Obama administration, do you believe they crossed it ever? I believe I believe that there was looking back now, Mm. uh, I I do do believe that uh, there was too many people talking about too many details about the bin Laden raid. Mm. I I don't know who all these sources were. So I'm I'm, I'm loathe to say that these were authorized discussions. Um, uh, I suspect many of them were unauthorized, but there was too much information out there after bin Laden, no question about it. I didn't think that the president himself, President Obama, revealed too much detail. If you go back and look at his speech to the nation after uh, after we killed bin Laden, it was pretty short, pretty simple. Uh, I don't think he got into a lot of it, uh, certainly not the way that, that, that Trump got into. But regardless, and I, I don't want to I don't want to exonerate one and blame. Yeah, the other. Yeah. I just think there's that after a terrorist operation like this, there needs to be as tight a control on the information as possible. But but as you said, rightly in your question, Essie, there is an obligation as well yeah. to tell the American people what you did and basically how you did it and why you did it, as well as a message to our enemies, our allies and our partners uh, that we have this capability, that we take uh, these counterterrorism threats really seriously. So you do have to. And as a spokesman, I had to walk that line every day. You sure. really got to balance the, the need to inform and the obligation in a democracy to let taxpayers know what you're doing on their behalf. On the other hand, don't handcuff yourself right. in the ability to do those kinds of things in the future. Well, and that's why, you know, PAs are so um, important, especially inside defense and um, and, and state yeah. public advocates who can who can share what they're allowed to share and keep the public informed and and be a resource. Um, we should be empowering, I think, more of more of those inside the administration. But uh, speaking of bin Laden, you know, Trump boasted that this, the the, the killing of al-Baghdadi was more important than the bin Laden raid. I don't, I'm not a, in a position to judge that. Um, what are your thoughts uh, in terms of comparing the two? I think it's, I think it's a ridiculous exercise. I mean, mm. they, were, they were both leaders of terrorist networks. Uh, the world is better off that, that both of them right. are gone. Right. And he didn't need to make this a competition. It seems like he's either yeah. trying to outdo Obama or undo Obama. And <laughs> I can't tell sometimes what that is. And and I just don't think it's an important distinction to make. I mean, yeah. both of them were, were, were terrible, uh, evil human beings. And, and again, we're better off without them. Uh, the question really is now what goes, how do we go forward here? Because ISIS is going to change. They're going to transform. Yes. They're going to they're going to regroup. And that's the more important, I think, uh, discussion to have. 
So let's have it. Um, the Washington Post reports that an ISIS mole inside Baghdadi's compound was crucial for for intel on on the raid in terms of preparing and and that this defector was cultivated as an asset by who else? The Kurdish SDF. So are we at a a disadvantage now that we've sort of splintered from the Kurdish um, special forces and that we were really relying on them for some of this intelligence? Or do you think we'll still have access to that? So it's a great question. I, I I, I think that we're, that the Pentagon's going to try to preserve as much of that relationship as possible. Some of my former colleagues that I've been talking to, they're, they're, they, they really want to try to preserve it as much as possible in the wake of the president's decision. And so I think they're a little reticent to say, hey, it's, it's completely shattered. We're never going to be able to rely on them for intelligence anymore. But it's hard to come away from the president's decision, particularly in light of the Baghdadi operation and not worry about the degree to which the, 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 the full context of that relationship is going to remain, that, the, that, the, that, we have, that we'll have that tactile touch to be able to really get uh, actionable intelligence uh, in, a, in, a, in a meaningful sort of quick way uh, without having more boots on the ground. And, and so, look, the Pentagon has moved troops back into northeast Syria to, quote, unquote, protect the oil field. There's a whole podcast we could have about that right. and, and where are the authorities on that. Um, but I but it's not the same. It, the, the footprint will not be the same geographically, and it will not be the same numerically uh, that we had b- before the president's decision. So I'm worried. I, I really do think that that he has hampered our ability to continue yeah. this intelligence partnership going forward. Uh, we'll we'll see. I think I think the Pentagon's trying to preserve what they can of it. Uh, we're just going to have to see. So Trump is also claiming that ISIS has been 100 percent eradicated, defeated. He's killed the caliphate, et cetera, um, and yet. National counterterrorism chief pointed out ISIS has a deep bench, in fact. And ISIS, I don't know, I guess like a like like a business. They already announced their new leader, um, their new CEO. Right, right. So so I mean what 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 happens next regarding ISIS from our standpoint? Are are we are we right that ISIS has essentially been disabled, or are we still worried that ISIS is a threat? I don't know really whom to believe. <laughs> I think I think it's honestly it's, it's both, uh, SE. They they are definitely a diminished threat. There's no question about that. The Trump administration did destroy the, the the caliphate, the physical land that they operated, but they did not destroy the ideology, which means they did not destroy the the network, the means by which they can resource themselves, they can train themselves, they can recruit new people into the organization. They still are a very virulent ideology. Uh, that which which means which is another reason why it was important to keep the presence on the ground in Syria to, to keep going after that. Um, so I think that they will look for opportunities to conduct future attacks, particularly in retaliation for the death of Baghdadi. Uh, there will be a vie for leadership, no doubt. Uh, it looks like they've uh, anointed somebody. We'll, we'll see how that uh, what, what that goes. But it, it's it's a clear indication from from ISIS. And remember, that was the first time we heard from them was. After after Baghdadi was killed, the first time we heard from them was when they announced a new leadership. That was a clear signal that they have no intention of going anywhere. So they still remain a threat, a viable threat. They are a much reduced threat, no question about that. But that's exactly why you need to keep the pressure on, and that's exactly why enduring defeat requires indigenous support. It requires people on the ground where these guys are operating, where they are trying to train and resource to help us uh, to help us find, fix, and finish them. 
Well, I have a final question, but as you alluded to earlier, uh, we could do a whole podcast on just this. I, I want to talk about uh, uh, the U.S. going in to protect Syrian oil fields. Um, yeah. What what are we doing there? And do you believe our stated reason? Um, and, and what kind of position does that put us in? Uh, another great question, Nessie. I, I, so I think there's a couple of things at play here. I think there is uh, certainly s- some legitimate reasons to be concerned about the the, uh, the safety of the oil revenues, because the SDF, our Syrian Democratic Kurdish partners, had been using some of that oil revenue to fund themselves. So there is a, there is a big leap of a legitimate reason to, to try to preserve that source of revenue for them and, and oh, by the way, not completely break all their trust and faith in us. If you're trying to help, you know, help them with sources of revenue, you could argue that they might look favorably upon us for that. That said, I also think there's a couple of other things at play here. I think politically, this was a way for Trump to say, I'm not weak. I'm not giving up. I'm still staying engaged in Syria. It's not a withdrawal. Um, and, you know, look tough, you know, especially about things like oil, the oil economy. And number two, I think this is also the Pentagon trying to get this situation back in a box in a way that the, the president can swallow. They were none too happy uh, that he ordered such a, an abrupt withdrawal from Syria. And I think they were looking for a way to keep some troops back in Syria so that they can keep this relationship with the SDF going. So I think it's a little bit for everybody. Uh, but, but what worries me when I look at this mission, SD, is what are the authorities like? So if they come under attack by ISIS, we have the right of self-defense. I get that. But what if they come under attack by, by Iranian militias? Yes, they can, they can self-defend, but then are we going to get into a scrap with, you know, with, with Iranian state actors, not to mention the Russians and the Syrians, although I, I find that very unlikely that they're going to try to attack those oil fields. So it's a mission uh, in search of justification, and mm. that's, that's what concerns me about it. Admiral Kirby, as always, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and breaking all of this down. We really appreciate your expertise. My pleasure. Great to be with you, as always, Essie. And thank you for listening. I'm Essie Cup. Join me next time on Weekend Warriors. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.